The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. Good evening, everyone, or good morning, wherever you may be. Uh, I'm Rabbi Mel Glazer, and this is the show From Morning to Morning, where we try to uh, help each other make the journey from grief to life, to lay them gently down so we can move on. And I'm delighted that I have uh, what I will call uh, a world changer. She's modest. She won't agree with me, but her name is Lizzie Miles, and she is the creator in America of Death Cafe. And she'll tell you more in a minute, but I want to read you a little bit from her bio, and you see that she does some very interesting things. She wrote this bio, and I have a little bit more to add. Lizzie Miles has been to more funerals than weddings in her life. She stopped counting her losses and started counting her angels when she reached double digits. Inspired by her comforting and positive experiences with hospice staff, Lizzie decided to pay it forward and become a hospice volunteer. She found that work so rewarding that she determined that her life's purpose was work in hospice. She made a midlife career change and quit her marketing job of 12 years to return to school to become a hospice, uh, to um, become a hospice social worker. While she was an intern for hospice, she organized an event where she helped a 91-year-old hospice patient ski again. Well, I don't know about you folks. I'm 69 years old. I never skied once. No, I skied once in my life when I was in college and the biggest problem I had was what to do when the tree came right forward face to face. Uh, I, don't want to, I don't want you to know what happened. It's, it's not pretty. So, Lizzie, I wish you were there with me. She ran a master's degree. She has a master's degree in communication and another one in social work. She's currently a hospice social worker and the networking chair for ADEC, the Association for Death Education and counseling. Her first and America's first death cafe took place in 2012 in Columbus, Ohio, and there have been many more. Lizzie Miles, welcome to From Morning to Morning. It's good to have you here. 
Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I have to tell you that as a grief guy, and my listeners know that I know a little something about grief because I at least claim to know a little something about grief. So we take different topics each week, and I talk about them, and they listen, and uh, so it goes. But I have to tell you that while I've heard about Death Cafe, I don't really know a lot about it. So could you educate me and my listeners what exactly is a Death Cafe? Sure. I, You know, I think it's really important to to recognize or realize that it is a simple event. It's a pop-up event where people get together to talk about death and dying and have tea and cake or maybe donuts or something else. But that's really it. There's no education. There's no information. There's no agenda and there's no ideology. So at its purest form, it is a conversational group where the attendees lead the discussion and decide what, what's on their mind that, that day, what they want to talk about. And it just flows naturally. It does. You know, it's amazing. My very first death cafe, I was really nervous because, of course, I had never been to one. And all I did was ask people to, we were in small groups, and asked them to tell everyone what brought you here. And that kept the conversation going for two hours. Wow. It's pretty impressive, actually. It is. And to talk about death for two hours. What I also think is amazing, because I don't tell people what to talk about, even though I've, I've had 30 events, uh, there are new topics that come up at every single death cafe. And it just goes to show the wide variety of viewpoints and thoughts that people have on death and dying. Can you give me some examples of some of those topics? Well, you know, it's so funny. I I do get that question a lot, and it's so limiting for me to try to answer that because there's such a wide variety. So people talk about um, maybe books that they've read recently, depending on what's popular. They might talk about... um, family traditions related to death and dying, um, open or closed caskets or burial versus cremation. They may talk about whether it's worse to die suddenly or a long extended death. They may talk about photography at funerals. Um, One time somebody asked the question if you could be buried naked. (laughs) Um, You know, just... Just a huge variety. After-death communication comes up for some people and, you know, cleaning out the closets after a loved one died. Um, It just, advanced directives and living wills and legacy and obituaries and it just goes on and on and on. Death penalty has come up once or twice, not very often. Um, Personal loss experiences, 
people try to outdo each other in their personal loss experiences? You know, not in my experience. So when when I host a death cafe, I always give probably about a five to ten minute introduction and tell them to respect each other and uh, respect different opinions and also um, I encourage people that uh, if they talk a lot normally that maybe they would want to talk less and if they don't normally talk a lot maybe they would so I kind of remind people of sort of the kindergarten rules of politeness and interaction and communication. So in my experience, no, there really isn't. There's a lot of empathy, like, yes, I've been through that too, but there really isn't, in my experience, the one-up, one-upping. Right. Well, that's good to know. Um, yeah. My experience has been... A little bit different than that. People like to, you know, win the the pain Olympics. Sometimes mm. when we get together in a in a grief group, that I do. Well, you think that's bad? Wait till you hear this. Then mm. they're all running, and I have to, you know, remind them that we're all in the sandbox together. Uh, but I'm glad you have those experiences. So you've done thirty death cafes. Yes. Wow. In two years? Uh, it, it's going to be four years this summer. Wow. So, yeah, three, three and a half years. Wow. It's, and, and where do you do them? Uh, I have hosted, so I started out hosting at a Panera. Um, because they had a community room, right. and I, I had tried other locations. I approached our community center, and I approached our library, and I got the sink eye at both places. <laughs> People said, what? <laughs> like, no, we're not going to let you have a discussion group. <laughs> and um, the, the day I went into Panera, the district manager was there, and she had had a personal loss experience, and so mm-hmm. she was open to the idea of a death and dying discussion. Right. And since then, it's expanded. Um, I have uh, mentored some other people in the city, and um, they've had them like on campus at Ohio State University. We've had them um, at funeral home, and and now we are in the local library. I, I just approached a, a different librarian more recently, and it helped that there was an article in American Libraries magazine about death cafes and libraries, and so, and I happened to be quoted in that, so I used that to get into our local library, and they love it. It's it's now part of their monthly programming, and. Um, a lot of the people that come, you know, had never been to one before, even though it's in the same small town. And, um, yeah, it gets really good turnout. So, How many, on an average, show up? Well, now that depends on the host and how they advertise it and what type of community they have. In my experience, mine are relatively smaller. 
um, maybe 12 to 15 people. You can have a good death cafe with five people. You don't need to have a lot of people to have a good discussion. Over in uh, Portland, um, they have 80 people at every event. So, and it just depends on, you know, in the country, there's some um, death cafes in England that they say they have 30 or 40 people at every one. My library ones, um, the very first library one had 28 people, and that was double my normal size, so it was a little caught off guard. We don't ask for RSVPs, which is really hard for new hosts to do. And most of the time, new hosts do ask for RSVPs, but I stopped. Uh, so you never know who's going to show up. I think it's more fun that way. It is. It is kind of fun. It's hard for planning with food, but then you just end up with a lot of leftover cupcakes. And Yeah, and Panera's makes good stuff. I mean, really. Well, I don't, I don't do it at Panera anymore because they closed their community room and yeah. I still try to have it in that space and I had a manager come and um, she wasn't familiar with the death cafe and she was kind of harsh with me. And so I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm not hosting them there anymore, even though I had hosted them there for two years. She said, this is a Panera cafe, not a death cafe. So I wrote them a letter, and they were kind of unsympathetic about it. So, you know, and and that's too bad because they were mentioned, and I got them mentioned in media nationwide. Um, so, but I do think some other people around the country where they still have community rooms probably still have them at Panera, and I certainly still eat there. I love it. Um, they just, you know, they don't have that community room at my local one anymore. So it's important for the environment to have a private space for the conversation. That's, that's part of setting the stage for the Death Cafe experience is that it's, it's kind of set apart from people who, who aren't there to talk about deaths. And, you know, they're just trying to get a cup of coffee. You, you don't want to mix. You don't want to force it on anyone. Right. Well, that's why Panera's... Most parents I met to had a community room. And it seems to me, you know, it's an opportunity to get more customers for them. Yeah, yeah, you would think. Yeah, I was sad when they um, they stopped. They, they took the doors off and they stopped doing reservations at the local one. So, right. but, you know, everything must change. And because of that, I ended up in the library, which was a a, a beautiful experience. And so... You know, it, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, my grandmother used to say that. <laughs> Mine too. <Yeah. laughs> so um, we were talking before the show, and I was saying that I was just reading your blog um, called We Don't Know Death, Seven Assumptions We Make About Dying, and where you wonderfully talk about what people think they know, even the hospice workers, what they think they know, but they don't know. So I, I remember a few years ago in a previous congregation, I get a call from a woman who said, 
my husband is dying of cancer. He's going to be dead in three days. Could you come see him? And I had never met them. They had never been a part of the synagogue. So I ran over to the hospital, and there he was with 20 people. And he was talking to them like I'm talking to you. Happy and sitting up in his bed, and he was fine. So I said the magic words, which are guaranteed to empty any room anywhere in the world. I would like to talk to Jack alone for a few minutes. Well, when the rabbi says those, everybody gets lost quick because they know we're going to talk about death. So ah. he left, and I was left with him, and I said, Jack, I'm so happy because your wife called me an hour ago and told me you were dying in three days. He said, I'm dying in three days. I told the hospital I will take pen, pain meds and liquids, but nothing else. Don't give me anything else. I will die in three days. Um, so I, of course, it's not often that I'm at a loss for words. I really don't know what to say. So I said to myself, act like a rabbi. Do something. Say something brilliant. Say something, anything. Man says he's going to die in three days. So I said, well, I want you to tell me what you want me to say at your funeral. Now, who gets a chance like that? So I asked him, so tell me about yourself. He says, just say I was a good guy. I said, look, I could do that, but I can't take seven minutes for a eulogy and say he was a good guy. He says, just say I was a good guy. So, okay, so I made up stuff. I will admit, um, I said really good things about him and talked to other people about him. Three days later, he was in a coffin in my sanctuary, and I was officiating at his funeral. So you're right. We don't know anything. And, but he did. He knew what nobody else knew. He knew that he was going to die in three days. It was just to me amazing. We got to take a break. So we'll be back and we will continue talking with my friend, Lizzie Miles. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? 
If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, everyone. We're back with my friend Lizzie Miles, who uh, created and has, has led 30 death cafes in America in the last four years. And we've been talking about what a death cafe is and what happens. And it's really easier than everybody thinks, she says, and she knows. You walk into wherever you're going to walk into, you know, a place, and you uh, talk about death and anything and everything that's related to death. And so I'm going to start one here in Colorado Springs. It's one of the reasons, Lizzie, that you're on the air with me because I need that that encouragement. I've been a rabbi 42 years. That's a long time. I know how to talk a lot about a lot of stuff, but Death Cafe is a risk. Is a not a risk. I'm not afraid of it, but a challenge. So during the break, Lizzie, you and I were talking about uh, this blog that Lizzie has written called We, Do, we Don't we Do Know Death, Seven Assumptions We Make About Dying. And uh, so she has these seven assumptions. We're going to talk about one of them in a minute, but like every good author, she is writing a book on each one of these assumptions. So then you can retire and go to Hawaii or wherever you want to go. So one of the things we were talking about, one of her assumptions is that the secrets to the universe will be revealed to you right before you die or as you're dying. And she says that's not true. Um, A 99-year-old client set me straight. Would you talk a little bit more about that? Oh, <laughs> well, the the 99-year-old client, I used to sit with her and with my notebook, and I was kind of asking, you know, I was just kind of waiting for her to say something profound, and she she would just kind of look and be like, what are you waiting for? There are no secrets. Um, but, you know, I can get caught up because I have had many mystical experiences, I can get caught up thinking that, you know, there will be something profound. And there was another time where I was sitting with a patient who was actively dying and had, um, you know, he his breath was really slow. He had, you know, 30 seconds in between each breath. And then he started uh, trying to talk to me, and I couldn't... Um, 
I couldn't tell what what he was trying to say, and I was leaning closer, and then, you know, he kind of made a gesture with his hand, and, you know, I, I ran and got, I had a Sharpie and um, a piece of paper, and I ran and got it for him, and he wrote, and it was just a bunch of scribbles, and he really, really was trying to get something out. The nurse came in, and I told her, you know, I showed her the piece of paper, I told her he's been trying to talk, and she leaned down, and she was used to working with him, and she was he was so faint, um, and, but she was able to tell, and, and she looked up, and she said, he wants to know what time it is, <laughs> and <laughs> we, I looked at him, and I said, you want to know what time it is, and he nodded and said, yes, and I said, well, it's 2.10, and then he was fine, and that, that was the miraculous last words that he asked was what time it was. And he didn't die that day. It, it was a couple of days later. Um, but, you know, I got caught up in thinking that this was going to be some big profound. Yeah, here it comes, statement. folks. Yeah, here comes the wisdom. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I have heard some very profound things, oh, but... Um, you know, it's not always that way. So, see if 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 I had if he had been my congregant, and I had gone to see him, and he had said to me, "What time it is? What time is it?" So, being a rabbi, I would have preached that at his funeral, and I would have said something rabbinic, like, uh, "Ask yourselves." What time is it in your life? Where are you? What's what's uh, past and what's future and all that? All that rabbinic stuff that we've been taught to talk about, you know, as the, the my my Christian clergy friend says, that'll preach. You know, you can you can get ten minutes out of that one. And you were looking for great wisdom, and all you just want to know what time it was. Unbelievable. You know, I actually had that happen to me with another. 99-year-old client, she had said to me one time, love has no distance. Mm -hmm. And she, she said, you know, I know my family can't come visit me very often, and, um, but I still love them, and I know they love me. And then at our hospice memorial, her grandson was supposed to speak, and he ended up having something with work, and he couldn't come. And it was her grandson, and the topic was love. And our chaplain came up to me, and he knows I do public speaking, and he said, hey, can you come up with a speech on love in the next five minutes? And sure. I used her statement, and I sort of applied it to grief and loss, and that, you know, even... Even though they're not here with us, we still love them. And, you know, I tied it to the statement that she had said. And that it was lucky that that came to me because... No, I wasn't uh, maybe, lucky. You're, you're a good rabbi, Lizzie. I, I know. I was like, maybe I should have gotten a theology degree. Maybe I'll get another, another degree. You, I love school. You get your wisdom from... 
talking to others and helping others. I wouldn't waste your time in theological school, actually. <laughs> Somebody said to me last week, he's um, a college student, he says, I really love Judaism. I think I want to be a rabbi. I said, forget it. Forget it, just forget it. Study Google instead. Google can tell you everything. You want to know something? Rabbi Google knows all. So, so let me ask you a question based on your hospice work in Death Cafe. You, Lizzie Miles, um, what happens to a soul after death? Do you have any feelings about that? Oh, that's a trap. <laughs> uh, no, it's just a very simple question. <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, so this is where, you know, when I host death cafes, I do have my own beliefs on things, but I put them aside because I want everyone to come that comes to the death cafe to be able to express their own um, thoughts and feelings about things. And actually, at the death cafes that that I host, and maybe because I have them in neutral locations, I will have, there are atheists that come, and they might be sitting across from someone who's Jewish or Catholic or, you know, Hindu. And I think... It works because I create that safe place where um, they can have a conversation and not disagree. And, you know, you're just talking about your personal beliefs. So my personal beliefs, I am a third-generation metaphysical. My grandmother um, was a very spiritual person. When I would ask my parents what religion we were, they would say, we are all religions. Hmm. So, you know, like, I, I, I could tell you what I believe, but I can't tell you what, what's going to happen, um, which is a good segue to one of my other patient comments that I did find profound. She was a Christian woman in her late 80s, and she said, all faiths go through the same door. And I really liked that because she, she had this openness about her that, that w- was very loving and open towards people that had a different faith. Right. And she believed that good things would happen. So, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I, I mean, I, I will tell you, being bedside quite a, you know, quite a few times during time of death, I, I have seen people talk to their loved ones, um, you know, whether or not that they were physically there or you know, in their mind, uh, it was a very peaceful experience for them. Um, I, I saw a woman, at the moment she died, she had an expression of shock and awe on her face, and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so, I don't know. Here you go, yeah. 
what do you believe? Well, first, I want to talk about what you were just saying, that uh, people that I know have two kinds of belief in what happens afterwards. Uh, one is, like you just mentioned, that is, they're going back with mama and daddy in heaven because they believe there's a physical place and if you're a good girl, then you go to heaven. If you're a bad girl, you go to hell. And they believe that in a physical sense. There are other people, and I fall into that category, who do not believe in a physical place, but rather in legacy. That is, when Mel Glazer dies, people are going to remember me in one of two ways. Either he was... Uh, a good guy, and he gave of himself to others, and he helped repair the world, which is what Judaism's uh, purpose and function, and ought to be every religion's purpose and function, uh, is. So he helped repair the world, and he was a teacher, and he shared, and he gave of his time, and he gave money to charity, If they ha and he taught me stuff that stayed with me, so I will remember him in a good way, and I will tell stories that he taught me, that I learned from him, that have changed my life. Or they can remember me in other ways. If, if, um, if I kept to myself and I didn't share anything with anybody, no time, no money, no passion, I had no empathy, I had nothing. I was unspiritual, I didn't care. I was a mean, uh, rotten person. To me, that's hell. So I like mm -hmm. to say uh, Sister Teresa is in heaven. Adolf Hitler is in hell. And, and this Jewish boy, who happens to be a rabbi, does not need to have a physical place in order to believe in an afterlife. It's all about mm -hmm. life. Because nobody's ever come back after 30 days. Nobody sent us a tweet. Nobody sent us any Facebook stuff. Nobody's taken pictures. Nothing. Which means that nobody knows. Well, if nobody knows, then everybody's right. And if you believe that there's a physical place, you're right. I will support you 100%. Whether I agree with you or I don't agree is not the point. It's your opinion. Because my job is to comfort, not to talk about the truth, especially mm -hmm. when there is no truth, because if there was, we wouldn't need to talk about it. So as a, as a rabbi, my job is to bring comfort. And if I bring comfort by saying, uh, you know, you're going to go back and see your grandparents, and that brings smiles to their eyes, faces, well, I, I love that. And that's what helps me help them. I don't know what happens. I have no well, idea. There, there is uh, like a third option too. What's that? Um, well, it, you know, we had it was we had uh, at one of my death cafes that I mentioned there was uh, someone who was Hindu, and. Um, it was interesting because when we were all talking, you know, the rest of the room, we're talking about legacy and obituary and being proud of the life that you lived. And he, he kind of 
it was, it, it, he kind of called us out, like, what does it matter? You're not here anymore. And it, it just, it was unusual because we, <laughs> we weren't expecting that, you know, because I mm-hmm. think most of the people in the room, you know, want to have something to be proud of. Um, but he was like, you're not here. What does it matter? But, you know, the, the Hindu and the Buddhists would also say there's not a place and it's not about legacy, but it's about, you know, reincarnation, too. I mean, that, that right. belief system is, is out there. So if I'm representing that I'm all religions, I've got to acknowledge all points of view. Of course. Of course you do. Judaism talks a little bit about reincarnation. You know, it says uh, if, if you're a bad boy uh, and God thinks you have potential, God may bring you back as a frog or a pencil or a tree or a or, or a, a pencil sharpener or a bottle of something. And you'll live, quote unquote, until that thing is destroyed. And hopefully you'll learn your lessons. And then if you're a good boy or you're a good pencil sharpener, then you, you'll come back and you get another chance. I don't know. But that's why people talk about past lives, I think. You know, and, and a lot of people I know talk to me about, they know what they were doing in their past lives. I was once leading a group of women who were all psychotherapists. You can only imagine. <laughs> psychotherapists. And they said to me, after I was teaching them about Judaism, they were not Jewish, they were married to Jewish guys who I never saw, so... They were as Jewish as their husbands were. And they came to one of them, came to me and said, I'd like to take you back before your birth because we've been talking about you and we think you've been alive. You've had 24 lives and we want to take you back. And I said, I need to think about it for a week. And so I thought about it for a week. And I went back to them and I thanked them for the opportunity and the offer. And I said, I'm not interested. First of all, I don't really care what happened 24 lives ago. And second of all, I got enough problems living this life today. <laughs> don't, don't tell me about the problems that I had 24 lives ago. We got to take a break. So all my listeners, don't go anywhere. Lizzie and I will be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Success starts here. 
VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, I'm back. We're back. My friend Lizzie Miles, the Death Cafe lady. Uh, you'll always have that as, as sort of a gnome de plume, you know. Oh, there goes Lizzie, the Death Cafe lady. People call you that, or no, not so much. No, not so much. Actually, it's it's surprising. There's a lot of people that still have never heard of it. Um, so, right. no. Even though you've been in the New York Times, right? I mean, you've been quoted by them, right? Yeah, yeah. I've done a lot of media, but I guess people don't. Uh, Follow. They only read what they, you know. With Google now, it, it puts your your own subjects of interest in front of you, and you don't necessarily always see uh, all the news. Yeah, well, since I'm a grief and death and loss and healing guy, I see all of that. I see you all the time. Oh well, thank you. Comes up first yeah. and comes up first on Facebook and. So be it. So during the break, um, well, before the break, Lizzie and I were talking about um, what happens, what does she believe after, uh, what happens to you after you die? And she said she's a third generation metaphysical. I'm not sure I even know what that means. But one thing I think it means is um, not heaven and hell like other people might believe, but as the Buddhists and Hindus, as she related, say, you're not there, so it doesn't matter. I read an article in the New Yorker a few months ago. Somebody was writing a, a letter to his best friend who had died, and he said he was jealous of his best friend because look at everything that the best friend now did not need to worry about. He didn't need to worry about when he was going to die, what he was going to die of, how long he was going to be sick, was he going to be in a hospice, was he going to get cancer, heart attack, or stroke. When you're dead, it solves a lot of problems in terms of worrying about dying. So, you know, I look at it as, um, okay, I'll leave my wife to pay my bills, and I'm not going to worry about them because I won't be here, so I don't care what happens. Guy made an interesting point, I thought. Yeah, I, I mean, it would be really nice to uh, let go so easily of of worry, everyday worries. I, I don't, I personally don't worry. A year ago, a year ago, um, April, I was at Johns Hopkins Medical Center in Baltimore. And I had a replacement of my aortic valve because it was like the rest of me at that time, 68 years old. And it was not a good, it was not in good shape. So they knocked me out and gave me a bovine valve. I asked for a pig valve, but 
that was only a joke, which my doctor didn't get. Because we ain't <laughs> supposed to have pigs. And so I wanted one just because. So uh, it took me a year to recover. And there were times when I was in the hospital after surgery when I was hallucinating. And one night I thought they had kidnapped me and taken me to New York. And I started screaming. And I called my wife, who was, we had rented a place in Maryland. And I called my wife and I said, they're coming to get me. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. I was out of my head. It was horrible. Just horrible. Uh, at no time did I think I was going to die. And I, I can't tell you why. Because, I mean, it was a serious operation. But it was not a life-threatening operation, number one. Number two, I'm too arrogant to believe that I'm going to die anytime soon because I'm too arrogant to believe that God wants me yet because I'm too arrogant to believe that I'm not done yet or that I'm done with my life. I have other things to do, like talk to you. So if I had died last year, I never would have been able to meet you. That would have been sad. Well, there you so go. I figure, you know, when the good Lord wants me, the good Lord gets me. All of me. Pluses, minuses, mistakes, um, smiles, crying, tears, everything. So, And I'm not going to worry about it because I personally, I wish everybody was like me, actually. I just don't think it's worth worrying about. On the other hand, I got a congregant who came to me two days ago, and her mother is in Denver, and she's got lung cancer, and it's going all over her body, and she knows. You know, and she's only um, 83. She's not old. But she knows that she's going to have to make some really tough decisions about how much care she wants. They can give her drugs all day long. They put needles in her arm. All day long, but, and, and, and she might get, you know, three or four months uh, life, but she's going to be in pain and she's going to lose her hair, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to have to make that decision. I just want, like everybody, I just want to go to sleep and never wake up. I think Woody Allen said he's not afraid of death. It's dying he don't want to know about. That's true. We're all the same way. We don't, we're afraid. And I think that's why more people do not come to death cafes because of the fear of dying and of the world being um, able to go on without me in it. How could that be? I can't imagine. I'm 69. In 20 years, I don't plan to be here. Well, in my head, I get it. But I can't, in my heart, I can't, I can't wrap my heart around it. How can the world go on without Mel Glazer? You know, of course the world's going to go on. And the sun's going to rise every morning like it always does. And I'm not going to be here. And okay, fine. I try to do the best I can today. So do you. You don't walk around worrying about you're going to drop dead tomorrow. Because it's useless. No. There's something healthy about an awareness that 
life is finite. If if you were to say that, you know, that we had a purpose that might be the death cafes kind of remind us that we're not going to live forever. I think as a hospice worker, you know, I, I see a lot of patients that, you know, they're like, I'm not ready to die yet, but it's because they never thought they would die. Mm-hmm. You know, people people go through their lives thinking that it's far off into the future, but maybe it isn't because I don't think there's any age at which, well, I think even when people are 80, that they're still sometimes surprised of that course. they're dying. And, and, you know, maybe, for example, Lizzie Miles' mission in life was to create Death Cafe in America. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? I just, I'm looking right now at the article uh, that I got from your, from your site. Live each day like it's your first. No, the author, Roman, I can't pronounce his last name, but you know him, right? Hmm. That, uh, are you talking about the polymed.org? Yes. In yes, so that's, that's a collection of hospice and palliative care um, professionals that, that write for yes. that blog. So he says, don't treat every day like it's your last. Don't go into the bucket list, you know, scenario. Treat every day like it's your first. He said, that's, yeah. a, lot, that's a lot healthier. I agree with that. Um, he says one of his one of his um, rules is spotlighting the last, not the first. That's what people do. They worry about the end of life, and and they, you know, they want to skydive. I saw a picture of somebody skydiving recently, whom I know. That scares the hell out of me. And um, my son did it, and you did it, I believe, right? No, no, I have never been. Uh, Yeah, okay. So my son skydived, and I, you know, uh, maybe I'd like to do it, but this guy says concentrate not on the last, but on the first. Wake up every day as if it's the first day of your life. Yes, you do have to worry about taking care of yourself, obviously. Um, uh, he talk, you have to worry about those who come after you. He talks about don't ignore the seventh generation. And I didn't finish it, but it's something that we learn from the Iroquois Great Law of Peace, which advises making decisions based on thinking about seven generations. So you got to, it's like the ultimate chess game, I guess. You have to, you know, when you make a decision about your life, how's this going to affect people in uh, seven generations from now? Well, I kind of like that. It's kind of cool, actually. Um, and yes, you're right. 
when you're in a hospice and you know you're dying and you're going to die soon, uh, then you know uh, you start to, I guess, grieve your life and you think a lot about what you did not accomplish. Oh, well, at the same time, I hope you think about what you did accomplish. I don't, I don't, I, that has not been my experience with hospice patients. So okay. there's a viral article called The Regrets of the Dying. And, you know, what, <laughs> what bothers me about that being so popular is that people think that the dying sit around with regrets and I should have done this and I should have done that. And my experience has been an extreme expression of gratitude when I don't tell the dying what to talk about and they just bring up whatever's on their mind. More often than not, it's not regrets. It's just gratitude for all that they've done and all that all their loved ones I don't know. I mean, I'm I sure think it's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, what do you think? Do you think they're focused on regrets? A lot of people are. I try to help them mm-hmm. make peace with, you know, their families, if possible, to forgive and to apologize and to thank people and and all that. But um, I concentrate on thanking people. You know, I want to thank you for how good we felt when we were together. How much fun I had when we did fill in the blank together, which um, I guess is a good place to conclude because I only have two minutes left with you, unfortunately. Time goes way too fast. So, Lizzie, if people want to contact you, how can they do that? Sure. I'm all over the internet. I'm on Twitter, Lizzie Miles underscore MSW. I'm on uh, Google Plus, and I have um, a Facebook page under Columbus Death Cafe. Um, So, yeah, I'm pretty available. Good. So if anybody wants any more information about Death Cafe, you can contact Lizzie. If well, and want. there's also a Twitter um, death cafe, um, the ampersand death cafe, and that is John Underwood in England who started the whole thing. Yeah, I um, uh, I have spoken to John, and he suggested yeah. I talk to you. So, yeah, I want to thank you for being here. Um, thank you, my listeners. If you want to contact me. You can contact me at Rabbi Mel at GriefOK.com. Rabbi Mel at GriefOK.com. Or you could call the station and they could contact me for you. So I want to thank you for listening. I look forward to next week. Lizzie, thank you so much for coming. I promise you we will be in touch because I'm going to start a death cafe here. That's awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm going to do it because you gave me the strength. So thank you, my friend. We will be in touch and good night, everyone. Bye-bye.
Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week. 